We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, my friends. Thanks for being here with us today on Journey to Center and Empower Radio. You know, from my perspective, it seems like most people on planet Earth are struggling and suffering. But does it have to be this way? Is there something we can do to open more fully to our divine nature and start to usher in the experience of heaven on Earth? I think so. I hope so. And I feel I have personally been working on this myself for over a decade. Now, my intention is to help others by sharing tools, techniques, information, and wisdom from progressive and conscious thinkers. Today, I'm happy to be having another conversation to assist you and me in going higher in our altitude and seeing life from a more clear, ascended, and expanded view. We're here today with Colleen Morrow. Colleen had a lifelong interest in the untapped powers and potential of human beings. This led her to launch her magazine called Intuition. Her 30 years of experience in magazine publishing includes work as a publisher, editor, advertising director, and circulation and marketing consultant. Intuition explored the many and varied ways of knowing, intuition, inspiration, and telepathy. It provided both research and accessible how-to information for every reader. Today, we're going to talk to Colleen about her new book, Spiritual Telepathy, Ancient Techniques to Access the Wisdom of Your Soul. Colleen's book has been endorsed by Barbara Marks Hubbard, Larry Dossie, and Edgar Mitchell. Spiritual Telepathy introduces readers to the ancient mind training techniques that will allow them to access the wisdom and guidance of their own souls. And only good things can come from that. So Colleen Morrow, thank you so much for being here today on Journey to Center. Thank you for having me. So can you tell me a little bit more about your backstory and how this book came into being? Well, I've always been inclined to spiritual life and intuitive studies. I don't really have any big dramatic near-death experiences or anything like that that I've heard about so much. But I knew from an early age that I was going to be involved in publishing. And I lived in San Francisco, which um, this was in the 80s. It wasn't really a place for magazine publishing at that time. I actually um, ran West Coast offices for East Coast magazines. So I considered myself very lucky to have a wonderful career living in a wonderful place. And um, in 1988, I was actually between jobs and not sure what I was going to do. And I was sending out resumes, looking for magazines, worrying about my bank account, uh, really worried that I was going to have to leave San Francisco to find a job. And um, one day I decided just to take a break, to give myself one day where I didn't worry about being unemployed. I didn't worry about my bank account. I would just go out and putter around in my garden and enjoy the day. It was October, which is my favorite month in San Francisco. And so I was uh, planting bulbs and raking leaves and just puttering around when an idea suddenly flashed through my mind. And the idea was the Center for Applied Intuition. And this wasn't the type of familiar intuitive experience. I'd always accessed intuition through feelings or body-based sensations like a queasy stomach. This was a purely mental experience. It seemed as though the words were just dropped right into my brain, and I immediately knew that it wasn't my thought, and it certainly made no logical sense. 
if I was looking for a magazine job because I sure wouldn't look there. I had met uh, Bill Couts, who was the founder of the center, and knew uh, kind of a basic, I had a basic idea of what they did. They did intuitive trainings, and they had a group of expert intuitives who went out and did consulting with uh, businesses. And I couldn't imagine why I would be led there to um, look for a magazine job. And so I molded over for a few days, and then I called Bill, and I asked that he send me information about the center's activities. And a few days later, a big manila envelope arrived, and I dumped it out on my table, and I found several brochures and a typewritten journal called Applied Sci. And this was a quarterly publication that Bill sent to the center's 200 members, and the subjects were about intuition and creativity. And as I read through it, I thought, wow, this is really interesting, and this could be a real magazine. I think um, a much wider group than the center's 200 members would be interested in this topic. And um, I thought, you know, with a new name and a new um, format, it could be a real magazine. So I called Bill, told him I wanted to talk to him, went there the next week, and uh, when I told him my idea, he just lit up and said it had always been his dream to turn that journal into a real magazine, but the right person had never come along. So I went home banged out a proposal, and then the next day, Intuition, a magazine for the higher potential of the mind, was suddenly born. And since he had only two rooms, I set up um, shop at my dining room table. I begged my writer friends to contribute free articles. I sold advertising space to pay for the printer, and I trucked around the copies to local bookstores, and they all sold out within a week. So I knew that my hunch had been right, that there was a lot of interest in this topic. And I started work on the second issue, I set up a national newsstand distribution network then, and it was around that time that Bill decided to close the center, and he signed the rights to the magazine over to me, and I later received a grant and set up an office and and hired a staff. And so suddenly I had my own magazine. And when I think about it now, there's two really interesting things about this. One is that I never could have gotten there through the rational mind. I'd always dreamed of having a magazine, but I couldn't have imagined that I'd be a candidate at that stage. And I also couldn't have seen that over the next 10 years, there'd be a flood of information on this topic, and the magazine really provided a focal point. I was just putting one foot in front of the other and following my own immediate guidance. And there's an esoteric saying that we don't need to see the bigger picture, we just need to know what our next step was. And I think this is a good illustration, because I absolutely had no idea, no idea what was coming. I use that analogy a lot. You don't have to see across the entire nation if you're driving in a car in the dark. You just have to see the headlights like 50 feet in front of you and just keep going. That's right. So I love that example of that. Yeah, because I think if you could have seen the bigger picture, you might might have gotten overwhelmed. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. That can paralyze us. So that, that's a beautiful example of uh, um, opening to your intuition and allowing it to guide you. So mm-hmm. I think that's fantastic. And so you did that for, was it 30 years? No, I actually worked in publishing for 30 years. But okay. I did Intuition Magazine from 88 to 2000. Okay, perfect. And then it was time to move on to the next thing. And it was then that I started studying this topic and realized that this is really the next step. It was a more advanced piece, so the intuition work. And yes. got just absolutely fell in love with it and spent years studying this. Yeah, and I love your book. It really includes um, ancient wisdom and some new things thoughts, you know, and, and the way you present it, I think it's very accessible. The way you have it laid out, um, your format is, it's very comprehensive. And I think it kind of takes the reader on a journey. Can you tell me a little bit about how this book came into being? Why did you write it? And what is spiritual telepathy? 
Well, when I started to study the subject, like I, I said, I just got captured by it, and I could see right away that it was the next step. And so I thought a long and hard about how to present this because it's very esoteric. And these books are usually written in very arcane and esoteric language, and so they appeal to a pretty small audience. And it actually took a lot of years, actually, to sit down and read through all this material. It's very slow going. And I thought, okay, how can I present this in a way that I can bring this out to a wider audience than the people that usually read these books? And I thought a lot about the science books on the extended mind, um, Lynn McTaggart's books and Dean Radin's books. These books are very widely embraced, and they're even New York Times bestsellers. But the esoteric stuff, the, the actual training that allows you to have these experiences is still somewhat suspect because you can't validate it scientifically. You can only know it through your own direct experience. So it's still, you know, there's an attitude that maybe it's true, maybe it's not true. So I thought that I could make it more credible to a wider audience if I showed that this is, in fact, the universal teaching that exists at the heart of all religions. I kept seeing references to other spiritual traditions in this material. And I didn't have a background in world religions, and I really had to start studying to understand how it's expressed in each tradition. And it was really fun. It was like being a detective, you know, because I read up on Buddhism, I read up on Hinduism, and so on. And I found the threads each time, and it was wonderful and exciting. So I showed the reader that this is, in fact, the universal teaching that exists at the heart of all religions. It's the ageless wisdom that's always been with us. I also showed that the science, our new science, our pioneering scientists like Dean Radin and Rupert Sheldrake, they're now validating these experiences. And um, I also wanted to show what happens when you practice these, these meditations. And so I had stories of um, people that have done this for a long time and how it's changed their lives. And I made sure that it was very um, easy to read and very accessible, which was a struggle because these concepts are presented in very esoteric language, so I had to figure out how to break it down. It actually took years to do this, and it was a labor of love. I wouldn't have been able to keep going if it wasn't. I just knew that it was important and knew that this is the wave that was coming in the same way that the intuition work started as a trickle and then just became a wave, I think this is going to be the next wave. So, yes, and, and you did a fabulous job, I have to say. You know, Thank I read you. a lot of books, so um, I, I really, really enjoyed this, and I think it's just stellar. Um, so something you go into that I think is very interesting and helpful, you talk about the different types of telepathy. There's mm-hmm. instinctive, mental, and spiritual. Can you, can you tell me what the difference is and and, and how, the, how these types of intuition work? Well, there are three types. The first two types have been validated scientifically. First is instinctual, and it's the type of telepathy that we share with the animal kingdom, and it's still used as a method of communication in indigenous cultures. The second is mental or mind-to-mind telepathy, and the third is the highest, spiritual or soul-to-soul telepathy. And the interesting thing is that it shows the um, evolution of our perceptual abilities, that early man, caveman, they access knowledge through instinct. Modern man access knowledge through the rational mind. And the future man will access information through pure intuition from the higher worlds directly to the human brain. And we're right at that doorway now where we can take that step. And there are practices that will move us along this esoteric journey. And that's what the book's about, how we make that step. Yes. 
because we do need to either become conscious or we're, we will perish. <laughs> you know, it's like exactly. we're, I feel like we're at such a fork in the road. Mm-hmm. Do you sense that as well, Colleen? Absolutely. And the reason this is so important is that when we make conscious contact with a soul, everything changes. We lose our sense of separateness and we realize that we're part of a great universal life, that we're all interconnected and interconnected with everything and everyone, including the earth itself. And you can imagine how the world would change if a critical mass of people made this shift. Barbara Marks Hubbard has written that those of us on earth today are the crossover generation. We're responsible for leading the way from one stage of our species evolution to the next. And Eckhart Tolle talks about this too, but in more stark terms, he writes that as a species, we have the choice to evolve or die. Mm-hmm. That uh, They both say that evolution happens as a result of some sort of crisis that propels or forces us to make a leap forward. And mm-hmm. Tolle uses the example of an amphibian who's forced to develop the ability to live on land when its habitat dries up. And our own habitat is in trouble now and we're faced with that same need. We have a world full of conflicts and weapons that can extinguish the human race. And we need to make that leap, but not onto land, but into the subtle worlds, into that wider world. Mm. And so this kind of segues nicely into something I wanted to talk to you about. And I don't know if this was coined by Barbara Marks Hubbard, um, but it's the term universal human. Can Mm -hmm. you tell me what that is? Well, she was the one, I think it's an old term, but she was really the one who brought it into to popular use, and it's somebody who is connected to the soul and understands that they're part of a great universal life, interconnected with everyone. And I was really intrigued by that and started to read up on it. And in the wisdom tradi- tradition, they talk about how we become universal in our outlook when we move from the energy centers or chakras below the diaphragm to those above, that the first three chakras are concerned with our personal seemingly separate self and the chakras above the diaphragm, the heart and those above, are universal. It's really the heart where it all starts to happen. When we open the heart, we really do draw closer to our souls and then we do have a sense of this interconnection. The heart is like the boundary between the visible and invisible worlds and it's why there's so much focus on the heart right now. There's heart math and movies coming out about it and all kinds of books. It's because we're right there at that doorway. And opening the heart really allows us to develop these higher telepathic skills. It's really the first step. It really is. And I'm really relating to what you're saying because I remember myself having to go through crisis. And I thought to myself, I'm either going to die or I have to find a new way of being. And I felt like that was what opened my heart. Mm-hmm. I think Zen teaching says that um, pain is a universal great awakener, and it certainly woke me up. And I feel like we are waking up mm-hmm. in a more um, conscious way throughout the entire planet. And I think your book is really such a wonderful tool if people want to um, take responsibility to wake up and become more conscious. It's interesting how that happens uh, individually and it happens collectively, too, mm-hmm. that we see that when we're faced with obstacles, we have to go within and make some shifts. And so yes. we're getting that now where, you know, we have these horrible weather conditions, fires, droughts, everything. It's really clear that there's something happening collectively that we have to address, that we're forced to address. Yeah. And I feel, I feel grateful that I, I um, kind of experienced my personal crisis years ago. I feel like I, I have more of an awareness and understanding. I'm not as, as confused as what I think a lot of people are. Um, so I, I feel so grateful to be able to have this conversation and and support anybody who wants it, getting 
to the place of the heart and going higher. Mm -hmm. So you talk about something called building the rainbow bridge. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little? How can we do this? Um, What is it and how can we do it? Sure. We know that we have a human personality. And when you look at the esoteric teachings, that the human personality consists of the physical, the mental, and the emotional, that that's where evolution has left us so far. But our evolutionary journey really extends into the superhuman realms, and the soul is in the subtle worlds. And we have to find a way to build a bridge between the human world and the superhuman world. And they say that the, um, the lower mind, our rational mind, is sort of the highest point of human evolution. So we have to connect the um, rational mind with the soul. And we do that through mind training practices. And the mind training practice is called creative meditation. And it's a type of meditation that really goes beyond traditional meditation, which mostly focuses on quieting the mind. In this type of meditation, we actually train the mind to transmit information from the soul to the brain. The information has to reach the brain to become part of our conscious awareness. And it's in the same way that our homes are wired for telephone and internet connection. This type of meditation allows us to create the threads and cables that link us to the higher worlds. And we create these cables by projecting our attention upward to the soul day after day. And we visualize the soul as a star about six inches above our heads. And as we do this, we anchor small threads of energy that eventually, thread by thread, will form a symbolic bridge between the mind, the brain, and the soul. And it's called the Rainbow Bridge in the Wisdom Teachings. It's called the Antakarana in the Hindu text. And it's called the Straight or Narrow Gate in the New Testament. There's a line in the New Testament that says, Straight is the gate, narrows the way, and few there be that find it. This concept of build, build, bridge building is actually everywhere in our spiritual traditions. And that was fun to see that, too. I feel like I'm kind of doing that meditation as you're speaking of it. <laughs> can, uh, can you give us any more detail, or is that really simply it? Just imagining that star six inches above our head and just aligning mm-hmm. with that. Is there any more that we need to know to start embarking upon this uh, meditation, or is that essentially it? Well, I have three progressive meditations. Actually, there's 12 total meditations and two additional practices. But the mind training, uh, there's, the mind training practices are related to three meditations. There's the first basic creative meditation or Raja Yoga. And this was first put into book form by Patanjali many, many years ago. And it's a basic mind training practice where you learn to quiet the mind and brain and extend your attention upward. And you have to do that to be able to pull the information in. And so it's really concentration exercises. It's really the bottom line for all contemplative practices. And it's the, the most difficult and um, tiring stage where you just have to keep at it day after day after day until you can quiet your mind enough to be able to allow that information to trickle down from the soul to the brain. And so you do it in different ways. In some practices, you do it with um, mantras or other concentration practices like staring at a candle flame. In this type of meditation, we use a seed thought. It's a sentence or a word, and we stay focused on that sentence or word, and we try to understand the deeper meaning, and it allows us to do two things. One, hold our focus of attention where we choose, that the the mind becomes our servant rather than our master. Yes. And we also uh, are training ourselves to think more abstractly because in the higher realms, the higher mind is a more abstract kind of consciousness. And so we're, we're training our minds to kind of match that vibration. 
So we do that day after day after day. And it's really consistency that really matters. Yeah. And that's, that was hard for me. And I figured if it was hard for me, it's probably hard for a lot of people. So I talked about my own journey in the book about how I'm not a morning person. I didn't want to get up to meditate and so on. And so I had to figure out how to do it in a way that worked for me so that I would be consistent. And so meditation really is vital. Absolutely. Absolutely. I joined, when I started uh, the book, I joined uh, an esoteric training program called the Arcane School. And it's a very intensive program. It's 10 to 15 years. And meditation is really the, the center of it. They actually make you submit a meditation report once a month. And if you don't do it, they throw you out because it's really the key. You can't really progress in this work until you can train the mind to be quiet. Yeah, I think Course in Miracles has this um, saying, uh, you accomplish so little because your mind is so undisciplined. And I do feel like meditation is a way of um, disciplining the mind and, and bring it in service to um, the heart rather than mm-hmm. like what you had said. You don't want the, the mind being in the driver's seat. Exactly. Um, because to me, the mind is where ego is. It's where fear is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if it's in the driver's seat, we're probably not going to go where we really want to go, where we really need to go if we want to ascend in our consciousness. Exactly. We can train it, like I said, to be our servant rather than our master. And yes. when we have, we're in control, it becomes a tool that we use to access the higher worlds really becomes our true sixth sense. It's the um, faculty that allows us to see, so to speak, in the higher worlds in the same way that our physical eyes allow us to see in the physical world. I love that. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So Colleen, if somebody wants to get a copy of your book or connect with you, mm-hmm. how can they do that? Uh, the book is available on Amazon. I have a website and the address is spiritualtelepathy.net. And they can read uh, the introduction to the book there. I have back issues of Intuition Magazine there, and there's direct links to order it on Amazon. Perfect. Also, reviews of the book are there. Very good. Also, I want to talk a little bit about, because we all have a higher purpose, mm-hmm. right? Uh, every single one of us. We, if we're breathing, we, we have a higher purpose. We, mm-hmm. There's something we came here to do that's really between us and the universe or us and God. And then we also, you also talk about becoming a world server. Can we talk about those two things? Because I think it's mm-hmm. so important. It really is to me. This is, this is where I'm at right now. This is what I want. I want to live my purpose and I want to be of service. Mm-hmm. Well, so many of us want that. I mean, that's really the, the purest and most wonderful thing that we can have in our lives. And it brings back to the subject of how this type of work is different from basic intuition. And it, again, I see it as the next step. It's a more advanced form of spiritual perception. And some call it the higher correspondence to our personal intuition. Our personal intuition gives us guidance about our day-to-day lives, our relationships, our careers, and so on. But the soul knows our higher purpose. And it can help us understand the bigger picture. It's our divine partner, and it's our highest and most purest form of direction and guidance. So when we contact the soul, then we do understand what our higher purpose is. Each of us has some sort of contribution to make. And when we get in touch with that, that's when we can be of greatest service. And it's just the most wonderful feeling in the world to be able to tap into that. And I have, uh, there's a whole chapter of the book about that. And I wanted to tell stories there about people who have had this experience and understand that they're here to give service and that have this experience of understanding what that is. 
And, and from my perspective and experience, when we really understand and start living our soul's purpose, it really is something that we, we love. We enjoy it. It's fulfilling. It's like, mm-hmm. because I say there's job, career, and life purpose. To me, life purpose is when we are of service and we essentially get paid to play. That's my mm-hmm. personal experience of it. Yeah. Is that accurate from your perspective as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's one it's of the, like, the things I think is the most charmed and blessed part of my life is that I had that right from the start, that um, right from the start of my career, that I knew that I couldn't do anything but that. And uh, I feel very, very fortunate. And I see people that don't have that and know that I'm really blessed. Oh, yeah. I've had a lot of different jobs that I didn't enjoy. I've had a couple of careers that I kind of enjoyed and was proud of, but now I feel like I'm definitely living my life purpose. And I love that you're helping people tap into that, figure out that, and claim that for themselves. I think it's just, what a blessing. What a blessing you are. Thank you. Corinne McLaughlin is someone who's um, an Aegis Wisdom person, and she's written some great books with her husband. And I really enjoy talking to her and interviewing her. And she made a comment that I think is really valuable for your listeners to hear. She says that when we bring three things together, our gifts and skills, our own particular passion, and the needs of the world, we find the sweet spot, the area where we can make our greatest contribution. And she also points out that there should be a sense of joy in our service. If there isn't, we're really not in the right field or on the right path. And in the, in the book, in that last chapter, I have a meditation to contact the soul to find out what, what uh, our individual path of, path of service actually is. Ooh, I love it. I'm going to go do it after our interview. (laughs) So, Colleen, thank you so much. I'm excited to get you on another show with me. And to my listeners, I'm always so honored to be connecting with you in this big, wide world. If you want to have a conversation, be in touch with me on my website, T-A-M-M-I-B-P-H-D.com. You can ask me a question, be in touch, uh, download my free program to uh, go higher in your own consciousness and, and start to enjoy being the unique aspect of the divine that you are. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Remy, for being my magnificent producer. Thank you, Brent Carey, for this forum called Empower. God bless you all. Love you. Onward and upward. Bye for now.